Hello world. Welcome back to my one-person podcast, The Bible Abridged. Today's episode is brought to you by Dye Tin Barbershop, right here in Brooklyn. If you're not in Brooklyn, like 99.97% of the world, well, don't know what to tell you. You should go to Brooklyn. Go to Dye Tin Barbershop, and then you can look fantastic like me. What's that you say? You can't see me? Well, that's true. And also, I can't hear you. I just guessed what you said. Anyways, last we left off, Joshua died, which I'm sure was tragic for some, but probably good for society as a whole. That man loved to kill people and hurt animals. So what was the question the Israelites started asking God at this point? Judges 1. The Israelites all collectively started asking God, who should go first into battle against the remaining Canaanites we've somehow managed to not slaughter yet? God decided that the tribe of Judah should go first, and apparently just answered them directly from the sky. Sure enough, led by the army of Judah and some other tribes, they swept through, killing 10,000 men. Then they came across Adonai Bezek. Not to be confused with Adonai Zedek, the king they already killed in a previous story. When they came across Adonai Bezek, he decided just to get the hell out of there. So the Israelite soldiers chased him down and did what anyone do in that situation. They cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Adonai Bezak was actually a pretty good sport about it, too. He just quickly accepted his fate and said, eh, I've cut off like 70 other kings' thumbs and big toes. So now it makes sense that it should happen to me, right? Which kind of begs the question, how many fucking kings were there in ancient Israel? Like, all of this land in modern-day Israel is 8,500 square miles. So if Joshua killed 31 kings and Adonai Bezek killed 70 more, you can't imagine he just chopped their thumbs off and big toes and let them awkwardly waddle home, unable to even hold a walking stick to help themselves. So if these two guys collectively killed 101 kings, and there were still other kings in the region, that would mean that there were more municipalities back then in the year 1400 BCE, or 3,423 years ago, for those of you who are bad at math, than there are now. Anyways, they took Adonai Bezak back to Jerusalem. Then he died of unknown causes, probably related to the thumb and big toes being removed. They just casually mentions that they, quote, put the city to the sword and set it on fire. They spent more time on Adonai Bezak than the fact that they slaughtered every single person in Jerusalem and then burned it to the fucking ground. After destroying what would eventually be known as the Holy City for three of the world's largest religions, the armies of Judah decided to kill more people. So they went into the hills and slaughtered the cities of Hebron, Sheshai, Ahaman, and Talmai. You might recognize Hebron as one of the cities they already destroyed and burned to the ground. So either they rebuilt it or the person telling the story is trying to inflate their stats. Some guy named Caleb came out of nowhere and said, I will give my daughter Aksa to any man who goes and captures the entire city of Kiriath Sefer. Because usually one man can just go and take a fucking city by himself. Well, Caleb's nephew stepped up to the challenge and decided to go capture the city and get himself some of that sweet, sweet cousin pussy. Well, then the men of Judah went out to destroy and kill everyone inside Zepheth, Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ekron. Then the Benjamites failed to kill all the Jebusites, and now they're cursed to have to live next to each other. Then the Joseph tribes went and swept through Bethel, which they already did, spared a couple people's lives for helping them. These people went off and started a whole new city called Luz, of which the residents were called losers because they didn't make it to modern times. A few of the other tribes also couldn't kill everyone in their respective regions. So they just settled for enslaving people. Judges, too. 
Well, an angel came down and gave everyone the talk about doing all the stuff that God says and he'll help you kill a lot of people. And then if you don't, he'll let them kill you. We've been through this before. A couple generations came and went and people started getting into the cool other gods of the slaves they had. I'm not entirely sure. It seems like they left so few people alive in this region that it would be hard for any kind of influence to get into the Israelite nation. But I suppose it's always possible. Well, as you can expect, this pissed God off, so he allowed a bunch of raiders to come and fuck shit up. Then he felt bad, so he allowed some judges to help the Israelites get back on the same track. But really, it just seems like a bunch of stuff was happening. The God part was made up afterwards. Judges 3. So after all these years and all those wars, there were four main nations left outside the nation of Israel, but still in today, what is known as the nation of Israel. There were Philistines, the Canaanites, the Sidonians, Sidonians, and the Hivites. The Israelites had apparently made peace with some of these nations, and there were a few more that mentioned earlier that enslaved. The Israelites were fucking people outside their tribe and even marrying them. And even going as far as worshipping gods who didn't care if they had crushed testicles or if they lit a candle on a Saturday. Naturally, this pissed God off. God was so mad that he allowed them to get conquered by a couple different kings for a few years at a time. But then he would let them rise up and free themselves. This kind of went back and forth for a while until this king named Iglon had conquered them. Iglon conquered the city of Jericho, the one that they completely razed to the ground, and Joshua said, If anyone ever tries to rebuild this, God will kill his fucking children. Yes, that one. Apparently someone in Israel had rebuilt it, and it has been rebuilt a lot of times in history. And then it got captured, and so did all of Israel, too. Anyways, it's important to note that Iglon was a super fat guy. How fat was he, you ask? He was so fat that this guy, Ehud, stabbed him with a 17-inch long sword, and his giant belly just fucking swallowed it up. Apparently Ehud just showed up one day, told Eglon that he had a secret to tell him, and then just fucking stabbed his fat belly with a sword and walked away, assuming that it had killed him. I was actually in a Christian rock band when I was 13 or so named Beefcake because South Park. And we had a song about this that our bass player wrote, just spreading the gospel. Anyways, after Ehud left the king to die from sword to bell, he told the guards that Eglon was taking a shit so they should leave him alone. I'm not making that up, by the way. That's absolutely in there. Then he ran out and blew a horn, which apparently everyone had been waiting for to liberate themselves. Well, Eglon... The good news is that we're still talking about you thousands of years after you died. The bad news is, the story is not great. Oh, and then it mentions, really briefly, that there was also a guy named Shamgar who killed 600 fucking Philistines with a fucking ox goad and also saved Israel. Yeah, no need expanding on that fucking story. We have 17 pages in a row of nonsense in the fucking book and then an amazing story like this just get fucking two sentences. In case you're wondering, an ox goat is a stick like eight feet long with an iron tip on the end. You use it to beat your ox when you want it to go faster. Or, actually, I'm not sure. I've never had to make an ox do anything. So this guy Shamgar just went around beating scores and scores of people with this fucking stick and saved Israel in the process. But I guess it's not really worth going into that story, huh? Also, I can't stress enough that they spent 12 chapters of Joshua just going on and on about the boundaries between the different tribes of Israel and the monks, like, 2,000 years later in 500 CE or whatever, decided to include that in the book, but Shamgar gets two fucking sentences. Jesus fucking shit. 
Judges 4. Well, anyways, Ehud went and died. I'm assuming that Shamgar did too, but we're not talking about him for some reason. This general named Sisera just swept through the 900 chariots and conquered Israel again. This one lasting for 20 years. It's also good that none of these invading forces were like half as fucked up as Israelites, right? Like, they'd conquer and kill every single person along with doing other fucked up shit before raising their fucking cities. The conquering armies would allow Israel to, to seemingly do whatever the hell they want to, but fuck them, because they're the bad guys here. Oddly enough, at this point, Israel was being led by a woman, a woman named Deborah. Did you know that the first female ruler of Israel was named Deborah? Because I didn't, and I've read this book before. Deborah told this guy, Barack, who's named after Obama, to grab his 10,000 men and go up Mount Tabor. Then she would somehow get Sisera to get all of his 900 chariots and go to the valley below. Barack was like, I'll do it if you come with me. Otherwise, I don't want to. Deborah said, that's fine. If you don't mind the glory of slaughtering those people being mine. You know, a woman's. I don't know this Deborah, but I doubt she said that. Anyways, Barack didn't seem to mind, and sure enough, his 10,000 men were able to take on the 900 chariots. I'm not entirely sure how they were conquered in the first place. Like 900 chariots versus an army that has of Israel doesn't seem like a lot, but whatever. Sisera managed to escape on foot and come across a tent with a sexy lady named Jael in it. When she offered to help him, he decided to get real assertive and just walk into her tent and start demanding things. So she gave him some milk and bandaged his wounds and let him rest. Then, when he was asleep... She hammered a fucking tent peg through his goddamn temple and into the ground, just nailing him to the fucking floor. And then the book said, and he died. In case you were wondering if he just writhed around with his head nailed to the floor for a while before getting up and going to a nicer person's tent. Well, Jael hung out until Barak came and confirmed that she'd kill this guy. But, like, there's no way she could have known who he was, right? Like, did a messenger let her know to be the lookout for this guy? Or was she just all about... Killing men and happen to get lucky. This book doesn't say, but I have my theories. Well, that's where I leave you off today. Uh, check back soon for more judges. Until then, get your hair cut at Dighton Barbershop.